Hello, Steve. How you doing? Welcome. <laughs> Nick, Nick was just regaling me with his philosophy on life of whether because that he likes to live in the slow or the middle lane. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I mean by that is I like to do things properly and carefully and not. To, oh yeah. To you saying I do it? Say it. Do it slapdash. Do risks. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have a jackknife at some point. It's yeah, gonna be you and an eighteen wheeler. <laughs> Massive crash. <laughs> what a ride, though. What a ride. <laughs> Oh, hair and the tortoise. Anyway, it's good, doing, to, uh, good, good to see you, good Steve. Speak. Yeah, yeah so, how's things? Yeah, things are good, man. Um, just uh, get, it's a Friday morning here in foggy Salisbury. Uh, Early just, doors. I'm well, just preparing myself for my day ahead. Um, going to head straight off into the laboratory, and then uh, I'm away in Cardiff for the weekend watching the rugby. Nice. Mm, yeah. Um, what? Thank you for your um, your your boozy gift for my birthday. My oh, birthday happy birthday, Steve! So, if the listeners are not aware, Steve was forty um, last week. Forty years old, Nick. Crikey, mate! I never thought I'd live that long. Well, you have. You've lived longer than Jesus, Steve, and that says a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Well, I hope you enjoy drinking that whiskey. I know you like. It's, a drink. I haven't started it yet, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Thank you very much. It's the next. Le- it's not the basic one. It's the next yeah. one up. It's the. It's my strategy on everything. The not the cheapest cheapest. Wine. The second yeah. cheapest. Right. Maybe that should be the name of your uh, autobiography. <laughs> the second cheapest. Anyway, it's a good quality whiskey, as you know, Steve. So I hope yeah. you enjoy it, and um, I look forward uh, to drinking some of it. I hope. I, well, I hope so too. I hope so too. That's the beauty of whiskey, isn't it? It's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh yeah. Anyway, so um, I've got a couple of things to chat about today. A little bit of kind of like more ecology sort of stuff, Steve. More natural Ooh. history. So should we Ooh. should we start having a chat about some of that? Let's crack on. Real. Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Why do we need Petri, Oscar, Isaac, Transplanting, Nick, or Steve? How are you doing? Good. What you got for me? What have I got for you? (laughs) Alright, crack on. None of that small talk, straight to the science. (laughs) Um, I was... Playing with my, you know, I've got like, I've got one of the things that I like to waste money on is high end audio equipment. Yeah, I'm wor- worried about, about what you were playing with now. <laughs> no, I was playing with my hi fi. Oh, right, yeah, right? yeah. And one of the things I have on my hi fi is uh, um, like, there's there's the subwoofer that makes all the low frequency sounds, and then there's right. the speakers that makes all the, all the other ones, right? Yes. And there's a thing, but you can imagine, obviously, like, in order to get like a flat, like, um, uh, kind of, profile of all of the different the volumes across all of the different frequencies yeah where one speaker falls off you have to tune in the next speaker to come in and that's not like a like a step function it slowly dies right so you have to have you have to tune one of the speakers to be able to kind of correlate with the other one yeah i don't understand that right okay so the, so the low one's making low frequency going yeah they just play at the same time one's going yeah but the point is is it yeah, but the point is, is that they overlap in the frequencies that they can they can emit. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So one so what tails that means off if I were to one pl- rises up, so there's like a kind of like that. Yeah. So exactly. that the volume is continuous across the. That's exactly. Uh, so, right. But you have to calibrate that, right? It's a thing called a crossover switch, right? So you have to like tr- adjust it. And if you put it too low, then you miss out some of the low frequencies. And if you put it too high, then it gets kind of la- it gets artificially louder. Yeah. 
at those kind of crossover frequencies, right? So anyway, I was playing around, and then I was like, I wonder how high I can hear, right? And then I start, and I got into it. Like, do you know, do you know what the kind of range of frequencies that um, that, that 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 humans can hear over? Is oh, I did. I think it's like something. Don't tell me. I think it's like six kilohertz to eleven kilohertz. I mean, you'd be pretty deaf if you could only hear that. But it, it, so, so you can hear down to about twenty hertz is about the oh, lowest. Oh right, you can okay. Hear. I know nothing. I and that's know like this stuff. I forgot. All the way up to about about twenty kilohertz, right? So if you're a child, a child can hear about that value. Bit lower for most, you know. For you and I, can probably hear about fifteen kilohertz to seventeen kilohertz, right? Without with with my old forty-year-old ears, it will yeah. it will be about that. Um, and then I was like, so then you know, you start getting thinking, well, what's the frequency the speakers can do? Anyway, I went down this bit of a rabbit hole, Nick. Right. Um, now there is a so, so people have been scientists have been studying things like not just obviously quantifying fre the frequency of sound, but also you can imagine there's this whole bit. That's that's above the range of human hearing that like other animals can d occupy, can hear in, and indeed can communicate in. Ultrasound, right? Steve. Ultrasound, so yes. you know, and, and actually there's loads of research into it, right? And so I got, and I wanted to tell you about one specific thing which I didn't know about. Not right? bats. It's bats not bats. Bats do it, right? No, no. There's. The, I remember there's an animal. Fink, he did it, but you could hear it in Batfink. And also... Batfink used to get beep, 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 beep. Is that, is that, was, was that Batfink? Batfink was a kind of... It used to send a beep out. It was actually a beep which was a physical thing com composed of letters. Beep. <laughs> and it would go around around a corner, and that's how he and would... Then like, and then, like, accost a burglar or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but you yeah. could hear it and see it, which is... You can't yeah. hear bats. can't hear so, or see it. Some people... So, my, my, my wife thinks she can hear bats. So we go down to right. the park in the summer and they're flying around your head. You know, like they fly around your heads if you live yeah. in a, a batty area and they almost fly into your face, which freaks you they, out. Yeah. Yeah, but she reckons she can hear them. I can't hear shit. I can't hear anything. Well, yeah, we, we, you can only hear up to 11 kilohertz, allegedly. Exactly. So, so definitely, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, I didn't want to talk about that. But so, so, so bats obviously do it as a very, very high form of, uh, you know, as, as a, a kind of echolocation. But actually there's some quite a research into, into I'm going to speak about rats, Right, that yeah. rats actually communicate in the in uh, in an ultrasonic oh, region. Oh, do they spectrum. really? That's interesting. So yeah, so 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 it's a really interesting research dating, dating back to the nineteen nineties uh, by called Jack uh, what's his name Jack Panskep and uh, Jeff uh, Bergdorf. And they, were, they were two kind of biologists, neuroscientists, right. studying the behaviour of rats, and then um, and, and what they found what they found is when they tickled the rats on their back. Yeah, that they made this um, ultrasonic vocalization, right? So, so they they were they were trying to their initial bar. They were looking at the how the brain was trying to uh, uh, process emotions and social behavior, and so what they found is if they tickled the rat's back and then recorded it, yeah, then they found that the, the rats they, they they made this kind of vocalization and the, the rats liked it. Well, right? that's and interesting so because in humans, like with me. It's kind yeah. of the other way around. It's like if someone scratches my back in a pleasant, let's say, a pleasant yeah. way, I kind of make more of a low sound. I'm more like, oh, oh, mm. like that. Yeah. It goes the other way. I wouldn't. I wouldn't sort of go, ah, ah. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of well, actually, weird. So when so they're scared, it, feels like, it not... take, feels like it takes more effort to to make a high well, noise than a low that's noise. That's interesting. But so when when they do. When they're scared or annoyed, the rats, they, they vocalise about 22 kilohertz, so still ultrasonic, 
but um, you know within the range that rats can hear. Um, and then when they're happy, and they know this because they tickle them, and then they, they basically they, they move their hands away, and then the rats walk towards the hand because they want to be tickled again. Yeah, they yeah. like it. Right, that's at 50 kilohertz. Anyway, what you can do is you can record that yeah. just with a microphone, and then you can reduce the frequency so you can hear it. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to hear a rat <laughs> being tickled? Yeah, 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 I do. So, I, w- wow, I can hear like, <laughs> sort of, it sounds like a bird, sounds like a bird tweeting. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's a rat laughing. I thought it was going to be a rat, oh, a laughing rat, oh I see, I thought it was going to be reduced so low in pitch that it would be like. Oh. Well no, it is reduced massively in pitch, but yeah, it's at 50 that. kilohertz. It still like, yeah. sounds like a high pitch tweak. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's a laughing rat. That, that's a laughing rat, yeah. So, so the, they did a bunch of experiments and basically concluded that this 50 kilohertz rat vocalization um, uh, reflects positive, you know, effective states, so feelings or emotions analogous to those experienced by children laughing during social play. And then, so, so it's really cool. And then they did an even cooler experiment, Nick, is they, they then, you know, they do these kind of experiments where they look at how, how um, uh, rats' brains behave as a function of stimulus, right? So, yeah. They did this experiment and then they tickled it in different bits of the rat's body Ooh. and they looked up which bits of the brain light up, right? right? And there's a little bit in the rat's brain, it's called the, uh, it's called the somatosensory cortex, whereby different physical bits of the brain are, as far as they can tell, exclusively dedicated to different to being tickled in different bits of their body. I mean, that is weird, isn't it? Isn't I mean... it cool? I, you, it starts to make you think, well, what is tickling? Why is tickling? Is it, what is tickling? Why do, t- why do tickles? Why do rats tickle? Is it sexual? It's, it's, no, is it it's, like I think, social? I think it's social. So it's, it's right. basically some, some way of kind of, a, of uh, you know, interacting with the herd, uh, of communicating building, affection building and, and building trust. rapport. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So it has an yeah. evolutionary thing when... Yeah, rough and tumble like, plays. Oh, we'll, we'll get together. It's like... Yeah, yeah. Like, so, so so it's bonding. kind of bonding, exactly right. And so so the, the term they use in, the, in a lot of this literature is rough and tumble play. So rats kind of like like to like like mess about, and that's part of their bonding exercise. And if you take rats away from them, particularly at a developmental stage, and don't allow them to do that, they don't socialise well, and they don't include it into the into into rat colonies effectively. So 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 laugh. So so the conclusion is laughing is important. We kind of knew that. In, but anyway, but but imagine that when you discovered that one out, when you just like <laughs> like, like I wonder if we recall ultrasonically and they play about down the, what like. say. yeah that is crazy and like i wonder whether there are a lot i mean there's probably loads of animals that do laughing or something analogous to that so there's there's a few there's a few so so apes do it to some degree um dolphins and, and on some level dogs but not not really dogs like, laugh. So, i mean dogs look like they're laughing they look like, they're laughing, dog they're... <laughs> <laughs> like that it's like whoa it's yeah, like yeah, a crazy so they... yeah yeah, but, but I mean that's relatively so. The, so the, the the frequency with which they uh, uh, so going to dolphins now that's only discovered in two thousand and four. And in dolphins, what they basically they, they found there's a frequency which couldn't be explained by the kind of typical calls that dolphins normally make, right? Which is again is associated with danger and hungry and you know whatever that you know kind of like n- normal communication. There was like a different region of the frequency, and then they narrow that down to they think kind of it's some kind of social bonding. Uh, interaction of and, and so they kind of call it laughing uh, in that case but 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 rats you physically tickle them <laughs> and they laugh anyway tickling Steve you know I like to um, cycle 
Yes, I'm sorry. So, so, and I'm going to, I've got to go to, oh, I'm saying it like it's a chore, but I'm going to Mallorca mm. in April. We go every year with some fat middle-aged men and we mm. cycle around and eat bread and drink beer. <laughs> That's basically what happened. And um, I've, I've it started sounds fantastic to, in the sunshine. Yeah, it is. It's really nice, actually. Yeah, but there's a, quite a lot of long cycling, and like the aim of the game is not to be the slowest. You just got to be mm. the second slowest. <laughs> mm. Going back to my um, yeah, the second cheapest. Second, yeah. yeah. So that you're not, you know, you don't feel like you're at the back anyway. You're so holding I, everyone up. No yeah. one wants to do that. Yeah. So I cycle to work. This is a bit of a protracted way of introducing today's. <laughs> Nugget, but anyway, I cycled to. I started cycling to work, and from where I live to work, it's about 23, 24 miles. So it's quite a long way. So I, I can yeah. just go one. Anyway, I was. I started cycling the other day, and it's a beautiful. It's a lovely route. You go through all of this beautiful Wiltshire, Hampshire countryside, rolling chalk, chalk streams, thatched roofs. You know, green, rich, oh, verdant. It's beautiful. It's really nice. But in the morning, you're kind of going, you know, you're on your commute. You're grumpy, yeah. You try and take it in. Anyway, I was cycling down this little valley, which is on the way to where I work. And I looked to my left and I saw something, Steve, by the stream. And it took my, it made me really surprised and excited. And it brought me back. I looked, and there, by the stream, was, was it a tall... Was it a 19, 1969 Ford uh, Mustang? That wouldn't wouldn't turn my head. <laughs> <laughs> it was a beautiful, slender, white heron. Right. It was a great white egret, right? Right. Okay, right. To explain the significance of this, Steve, right? So I was a member of the YOC as a youngster. The What's young, the YOC, Nick? Young Ornithologists Club. Right. I was a bit of a bird watch. I like bird, bird I, still, nerd. I still do a bit of bird watching. You You're know. still a bird nerd, yeah. Yeah, yeah, still like a bit of bird watch. I'm a bit of a part timer. I don't twitch. I just uh, I just observe. Just in, generally. It's an, it's an interesting subculture, isn't it? I know one of my um one of my good friends at university, her father was a professor of ornithology. Oh yeah. So yeah. he 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 would always like get some phone call from the middle of the night and they're saying, There's a there's a brown bird that's been blown off the coast of Norway that's in the middle of the fens and everyone would like go and travel and there'd be like a little community of people all sat in their brown jackets looking through these tiny little binoculars trying to see this incredible which is which is my, my, my friend would always regale stories as like inevitably it was just some brown bird. Like there was, there was, there was she was always expecting it to be a bird of paradise or an eagle or something amazing, but it was always just like something that looked like a sparrow <laughs> uh you know what i wish i was i kind of wish i was like when i'm not one of those people but i kind of wish i was to get that right. these. anyway but to explain so I'm t- i've t- taken you back to the yoc back yeah. in the 80s right do you ever see a little egret little white heron birds yeah flick? little yeah. heron there's the one there's one next to the park in this in the finsbury park i call him dave yeah they're always li- there they're called little yeah. egrets right and you never ever saw one of them in the 80s there were none in the uk what they were totally really? absent yeah you never saw a single one what? maybe wow. the odd one if you were like your yeah. friend's father yeah. you know and you, you went <laughs> Anyway, they all came back, so they're walking around. They've got these big yellow feet. You've probably seen the little yellow yeah. feet. Anyway, they, they're quite established. Great white egrets are much bigger birds. They're like a metre tall. They're like heron, you know, grey heron size almost. And I've never seen one before. So that's why I was so surprised. You'd never see them in the UK. So I couldn't believe it. Where, where do they normally live, Nick? Well, they normally live there, southern Europe, but they're, they're now widely distributed in Europe. And this is what I was going to talk to you about. So... Mm. So I saw this bit, and I, I kind of, I was on my bike, so I stopped, and I sort of went, oh, bloody hell, that's amazing. And then I cycled to work, and I, 
uh, like I am, I forgot about it, absent-minded, forgot about it for a bit. Anyway, I remembered the other day, and I thought, you know what, that was rare. I'm going to log that, right? And there is a website you can log sightings. If you see something, you love that, don't you? But you absolutely love that. Love it. It's called Going Birding. There's other sites available as well. So I tried to log it. So I went on and I like typed out, yes, uh, single white uh, bird um, took to flight as I passed. Uh, Yeah, and gave it the grid. You know, found the grid reference on the OS map and all kinds of stuff. And I tried to post. It got rejected. Not allowed. Got rejected. Why did it? Why is it being rejected? Did you use the wrong terminology? Do you have to be a proper? I couldn't work out. I tried like three times to do it, and then it still was rejecting me. And I thought I'm too busy to be sitting at work, (laughs) logging it, spending hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where I'm trying to distract myself from doing some tedious admin thing. Anyway, so yeah, so then I sort of googled it and I went, "Great white egrets, they've become common, Steve. They've they've been taken off." So. Basically, I looked in on the. I found a news article, and basically, the um, um, the bird people. I forget which society now. One of the bird societies has taken it off their rare bird list because uh, apparently they are. They were in 2020. Well, you know, as I said, 20 years ago there were none. You never saw right. any. And uh, in and this is this is all herons or just the great white egret? It's just the great white egret. Right. Okay. Yeah. So in 2020, apparently they exploded. So there were something like about 2,000 sightings like in the first half of 2020 and more than 6,000 in the second half. So they've become... And because of this... Is they it were, pandemic related? Or? I don't know. It doesn't say right. that. They haven't ascribed it to that. But I thought maybe that's something to do with it. But anyway, the, the rare bird reports, it was they were comprising like 10% of rare bird reports. <laughs> Great White Egret. So then they were... Not that rare then. No. They're, they're back. They're back, Steve. They're back in the country. So it's pretty amazing. And they were really uncommon in Europe. Even as, you know, you go back to the mid-70s, there, there were only about 100 breeding pairs in the whole of Europe, right? Wow. Now it's thought in the UK there are only 35 or 40 wintering birds, according to the, BB, the RSPB. So there's not many of them still, but they've started breeding. You know, they start first time they bred back in the UK was 2012. Um, and now it's thought maybe there are several. There, it just says there are several pairs now breeding in the UK. Most of them are wintering birds, so they're they're winter visitors. They go back to Europe or Africa in the in the summer. But I just found that pretty amazing. They, wait, wait, wait. They visit. They come to they come to England in the winter. Yeah. Because it's what? Because they like shit weather. What? Like, I what, think it's fit, it must be food related. There's more. There's an, a better abundance of food. There's more food in England in the winter. Look, Steve, I haven't researched this bit. I don't know. Birds move around. Geese and things. Yeah, sure. Same. No, but I always thought they went south for that reason. But I think some go north and some go south, to be honest. <coughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It depends on depends on um, the ecology of the situation. I suppose it depends what they eat, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, fro- they, eat fro- they eat things like frogs, um, crustaceans, you know, insects and, and fish, basically. They're just like herons. They stand by the river. They watch and then they spear something. They're really elegant birds. They've got yellow bills, big, tall, graceful things. Yeah. Anyway, they were these things. They were hunted almost to extinction in Victorian era because they have these beautiful feathers. When they're mating, right. you see this sort of ball of feathers sticking out, and they, they, wow. the feathers were used in um, ladies' fashion in hats and things. So they right. were almost hunted to extinction. That's why they disappeared, basically. So um, yeah. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to tell you about them is. The herons, and I remember this from when I was in the YOC, Steve, they have their own comb, right? So in their claws, 
yeah. in their feet, their middle toe has, is serrated, and it's a, it looks exactly like a comb. And I've sent you a picture, Steve, which I think we can share right, as well. Let me have yeah, a look, look at it now. Describe what you see. Wow. Do you know? Okay, so it's a. It clearly looks like a like a bird's toe, like 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 you would look at like um I don't know if you imagine a like um a parrot's toe or something, but on the nail of it, it's kind of serrated. So I I thought then Nick when you said comb that that was some bird word for like because isn't the top bit of a chicken called a comb or something mm. as well mm. a floppy bit. Of, so I thought you meant something like that, but it, it physically means like a comb you would comb your hair with mm-hmm. is what it looks like. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's kind of, it's so it's kind of serrated. Really, really intricate. Not just serrated, but actually like each one is not like a V-shape. It's like a proper, it looks like the blade of a comb, doesn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So what do they use that for? For grooming? No one knows, right? So grooming, yeah, definitely. It's, sorry, it's only the, only the great white. No, the, right, okay. So these, oh. these, these claws, they're, they're called pectinate claws. And they, they're, they're found in various species. I mean, they're found in things like barn owls have them. Okay. Um, a type of bird called dipper. I don't know whether you're familiar with a dipper, Steve. Don't if you go dipper. to a, a, a mountain stream, you might see a brown bird with a white front dipping its head in the water. That's a dipper. You find them. They're quite common in the UK. And lots of other birds. Some birds like frigate birds have them as well. So they're found throughout different birds. But no one really knows what they're used for. So I had a bit of a dig, a, dig around to try and work it out. And there are some academic papers on it. And there's a paper by, and the, the lead author is called Sarah Bush. Um, and it's, you know, the, the, one of the ideas is they might, might control parasites. So they may be cut, you know, like you have a flea comb. Right. Yeah, they may work like that. <clears throat> so it's like a knit comb, uh, like that really fine comb. Yeah, like comb a knit comb, have. exactly, yeah. yeah. And other functions include a role in feeding, um, maybe removal of, of stuff, old feathers and things like that. And straightening of feathers and, you know, just making sure the feathers are in condition. Well, just like what we would use a comb for. Yeah. All of the things that we would. There's no a- different, is it? Anyway, the, they, and they said here, so even though this, you know, there's lots of these ideas, none of the hypotheses have ever been tested. So this was about 10 years ago. So this team, they had a look at, like, loads of bird skins, which are in a collection in the U.S., and they just randomly selected 144. And it says in the paper, we selected them haphazardly. So <laughs> they, it's sort of yeah. better than randomly, I think, haphazardly. And then, with, with, without due care and attention. With, yeah, haphazardly. <laughs> and then they looked at them under the thing and they found that in all the bird species and all of the families, so they looked at families of species, mm-hmm. um, 17 of 118 families had them. So a little bit more common than they expected. Um, and then what they did was they thought, well, actually, is it to do with parasites? Right? So... They did a couple of experiments. They did. They, they were after the effect, after the fact experiments. Mm-hmm. But first of all, they looked at these species and they looked at records of infestation or you know the the variety of different insects that live on the birds based on the literature, and tried to see whether those with combs had, a, you know, a lower diversity of insects than those that didn't. No difference. Cor- correlation it's, does not imply causation. No yeah, difference whatsoever. Okay, so 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 the the parasite hypothesis is rejected. Well, not quite. They were a bit. They thought this is not a very good way of doing it. It's uh, right. it's not perfect. And actually, sometimes if we look at, sometimes they go up a lot, and sometimes they go down a lot. So you know. Right. Okay. So noise is high. Noise. Yeah. They just thought we'll write it anyway. But it's like a lot of people would do it and just think that oh, was stupid, and then and then not even <laughs> say anything about it. That would be what I would do. Anyway, they Me chose too. to. Anyway. <clears throat> anyway, then they went. 
they looked at some barn owls. So they had a mate who collected road-killed barn owls, right? Of course, also have these. <laughs> and then what they did was they looked at the barn owls and they measured infestation in barn owls depending on the size of, of the claw, seeing how okay. big it was. Did they find no correlation, Steve? No correlation whatsoever. So we still. Okay. So it says at the end, in summary, uh, these. Comparative and correlative studies indicate the claw has no role in parasite control. However, a more definitive, this is the thing I was thinking of when I was reading. What would mm. you think of doing if you, you as a scientist, if you wanted to find out? I would infect them all with parasites and see which ones got better. Yeah, that's one way. Yeah. So I was thinking you could chop it off. Ah, yeah, okay. And they, they had the same idea. A more definitive test would be conduct an experiment where you, know, you, did, you, you compared birds with normal claws whereas but compared with birds from which the pectinations have been perhaps filed away. Right? Mm. So I, this was in 2010. So I, had a, I then went back to Google Scholar and I had a good and did a look. forward search on that paper to see exactly. if it... Exactly. Looked at all yeah, the citations nice. for it, looked them through. It's mainly the same authors doing the same thing. Obviously, this isn't a rich, uh, richly <laughs> funded area of research. <laughs> <laughs> and they right, haven't done it. They haven't done it. As far as I can tell, they haven't done it. They, I imagine it's quite expensive if you've got to go and catch a load of barn owls and then and then, and then file down their legs, there were two, file down their nails. Yeah, there were two other experiments, and one was called The Influence of uh, Bill and Foot Morphology in the Ectoparasites of Barn Owls. This is a follow-up study to the barn owl. I think they decided, oh, well, this mileage, <laughs> we'll do it again. We'll collect some more dead barn owl. This time they did find a correlation. Okay, so they did find a correlation with, with the parasites. Yeah, so okay. it seems to be true that these so combs. What, so what did they do different in this case? I don't know. I I, dis- okay. I read the abstract, Steve. Right. By this stage, I was becoming weary of the pectinate claw story, <laughs> as probably our listeners are. Apologies to you all. I know. There's got to be a conclusion, Nick. There's there got to be an end. There is. So they did. Okay. Do, they finally did do the experiment, but they did it with. It's a bit disappointing. They did it with pigeons. <laughs> No, because it's too expensive to catch barn owls. They declawed pigeons. Pigeons have like it's not really like a pectinate claw, but they have a have a claw that they use, and they they removed the flange on the middle claw and see whether saw whether it enhanced scratching, and basically, absolutely unambiguously, if you did this to pigeons, they had more lice. So this similar ah. claw in a pigeon. Obviously, pigeons are probably a bit more tractable than barn owls. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you can keep a flock of pigeons, but I mean, you're buggered if you were trying to keep. Imagine keeping a flock of barn owls in your garden. That would be a disaster. Can you imagine? Yeah, because you'd have to have a minimum. What would the minimum sample size be? You've got to have what I don't know, fifty barn owls or something. Very something temperamental, like. as everyone's heard. Yeah. You know, prima donnas, the barn owls, pigeon, do anything to yeah. chop off their feet you have to and buy even a lot notice. Barns. <laughs> Exactly. Anyway, Steve, there is the the parable of the pectinate claw. Focused uh, podcast today, didn't we, Nick? He's not here anymore, mate. He's gone. <laughs> oh, it's Brian. Hello, Brian. How you doing, mate? I ain't too bad, mate. Yeah, how you doing in this in in the post 
um, apocalyptic uh, pandemic world. I feel the spring, I can feel the spring stirring in my right. loins, in my bones. Then you, you and Marjorie, looking you, forward to the spring. Yeah, like all of the birds are out, you know, flirting with each other and that. The other night I was out, rabbits everywhere, rabbits frolicking around in the grass. They can all feel nice. it, they can feel it coming on. Look. You know what I found out the other day, Brian? You know, um, uh, you know your friend Robert Plant, who's just from Oh, Dan good Road, lad. Yeah. He's from did down Kinverways. Yeah. Wiley Forest, so, mate. So Jimmy Page w- grew up in the town that I'm from. Did he? So He's I, a bit of a yeah. strange character, Jimmy. Everyone knows that. <laughs> you don't <laughs> want to trust him with your children, that's all I can say. Okay, we'll move on from that. Anyway, did you like today's podcast? Yeah, mate. Wonderful. I loved it. I loved yeah. hearing about all of the stuff you chaps were talking about. The stuff earlier on and the stuff later on. Oh, it must have been that, that profound that you remember it so well, Brian. Well, yeah, I mean, we're doing a, with the current season of, uh, of the Science Shed. We're calling Early Doors, Brian. It's happening before work. Nick and I get together. And if people are interested in listening to it, they can contact us. On Twitter, I'm um, at Steve the Chemist, and Nick is um, uh, at the Evans Lab. Can they send you like? Can they slag you off? Send you feedback and bits of advice I mean, and ideas the, for what to have a chat about. I think feedback is just a middle class word for slagging people off. Anyway, right. isn't it? Like, yeah. So I'm I mean, just no going to start. No one ever says well done, Brian. No one ever goes nice work. Nice nah. work. I'm glad you're doing it. Never it's always just Dave. people moaning. No, nah, never happened. Anyway, I've got to go. <laughs> have a good one. Bye. Bye.